Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. From Barangaroo Studios, the AusBiz COV is the key stuff you need to know about the day in business and finance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the COV from AusBiz. I'm Gemma Acton, joined by Nadine and Scuddy, both of them here today. Fantastic to be here. <laughs> well, I feel that this is the calm ahead of the storm, um, just ahead of the weekend, checking we all get our rest and relaxation because uh, we have that bumper Tuesday coming up just a couple of days after that. Bumper Tuesday followed by intense Wednesday when the US election results. This is the thing, right, is that we are essentially in the Asian region, the first markets to react to whatever happens when it comes to US elections or Gemma, I guess whatever, doesn't happen on the day. I remember the 2016 election like it was yesterday. And I remember the same kind of I know, uh, thought process was going through the markets and, uh, and the pundits. Back then, it was going to be Hillary Clinton victory and the like. Uh, I still remember that day watching the uh, panhandle in Florida turn red and knowing that Florida was going to go and flip uh, and just seeing what the consequence of that were. We saw S&P 500 futures limit down 5%. The world was going to end. And then within 24 hours, the world was great. Uh, I suspect that we're probably going to have a similar scenario next week. Yeah, in terms of, you expect in terms of the outcome or in terms of what the markets will do? It does have a, an air of 2016. I'm not prepared to go and have a, you know, to go and say definitively who's going to win and who's not. Uh, obviously, uh, Biden is clearly in the, uh, in the lead when it comes to the polls, but it does have that real reminiscent feel about uh, what it was like four years ago. And uh, one thing for certain, I think when you go in, into uh, an event where there's so much uncertainty, uh, you're going to see people pull back their positions, their trading positions, their investment positions. That's going to go and really reduce down liquidity. And when you throw in that uh, to the mix, it's just going to be so volatile. I, I can only fathom what it's going to be like back uh, probably on Wednesday and potentially later in the week because I, I suspect that we're not going to know what the, uh, the outcome of this election is, is going to be for weeks well, I think, okay. yeah, that's the big risk, isn't it? If, if there is a contested election, if it takes a while for all the votes to be counted, if people protest against you know, one side or another not being fair, if there's speculation over whether the male votes are, are right or not. So uh, then, then what happens? Because just say it is leaning towards one or the other, do people start putting on positions in anticipation of that or not? It, uh, it could take a really long time. And I remember reading uh, the other day, actually, someone saying that Generally, I think 2016 was an exception, but between uh, if there is a new president elected and inauguration in January, very little happens in markets, probably because it coincides with year-end Christmas, mm. but the sort of lame duck period where actually markets don't move too much. And I had a really interesting conversation with Carl Tannenbaum, who's the chief economist at Northern Trust um, from Chicago this morning, and he said that maybe one thing that people don't appreciate on the ground here as much as they do there is the fact that even if there is a Biden victory and even if he is inaugurated come, um, come next year, that there is so much... Um, you know, disagreement within the Democratic Party itself. 
that that then becomes a roadblock to be getting, you know, coherent economic policy and stimulus in a timely manner because he was quite optimistic about the US economy's ability to pull through this pandemic and to recovery in the pace of recovery. But he did say that so much of it is dependent on stimulus. And while markets are sort of treating, oh, well, we get the election, then we get stimulus, and then everything's hunky-dory, he was saying it's actually not that simple, even if we have a clear outcome from the presidential election, which, as we've just been discussing, is a big if. Yeah, that Senate race is so much more important, I believe, because that, that will really go and open the door to be able to go and put through policy measures quickly without all the fuss that we've seen over the past uh, decade or so, pretty much since the, you know, the 2008 election. So I really interested to see what happens there. And that's where the uncertainty is going to really stem from, because you're not going to have a definitive answer as the makeup of Congress for such a period of time. So even if I uh, know Biden or Trump wins the presidency, uh, we're still not going to have any real clarity on the, uh, on the Senate front, probably for uh, a long period of time. Uh, interesting to keep an eye on big tech. They've obviously had a bumper year, but then last night results that you know, to the naked eye would probably not look all that bad, seem to disappoint uh, almost across the board. And then there's that looming threat of regulation if there is a Biden presidency, or indeed if there's a presidency uh, uh, for Trump as well, um, given that both have uh, talked about cracking down a bit more. So what are we seeing here? Are we seeing this pre-election volatility and nerves hitting the tech stocks, or and those most of all because they've been the ones who've been traded up most aggressively, or is it disappointment of the results, or is it the threat of uh, increased regulation or a combination of all of them? I think it's probably a combination of all of them. Um, I will say about the tech results, so there was still a lack of guidance coming from these companies, and there was really conservative guidance given by those that, that did. Even Amazon was quite conservative. So, yeah, I mean, they, it, where does it where does the growth come from? I mean, they're still all expecting to see growth. It's still obviously a, a big narrative for the markets overall. But yeah, when you've got sort of even Amazon doing really really well, not providing guidance, well providing conservative guidance. Apple not providing guidance when they've got this big Apple iPhone 12 launch that I've been told by many people is you know this going to ignite a super cycle of everybody upgrading their phones. <laughs> Whatever. You know? Whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm not overly surprised to see what the reaction is. I, I wasn't surprised first that you're going to see that uh, on the top line revenue, uh, all the other results has breezed past the street's expectations. The one thing is absolutely undeniable from this reporting season is that analyst expectations have been so far off the mark. Mm. It's unrealistic. Uh, I, I question the value of what's going on at the moment when it comes to that. 85, 86% of companies beating top line revenue, that's... That's telling me that people aren't doing their job or there's something going on there. Uh, but it's going, to be, it's going to be next year's results. Um, yeah. yeah, the next quarter's results. Well, that, be that, really... That's, I think, what we've seen across the board. Even if you look at ANZ yesterday revising their economic growth forecasts, boosting them for 2020, decreasing them for 2021, because I think uh, whoever made the point that fiscal support, the, the magnitude of it has surprised people, it really has. And that's flowed through to the economic results in many of the major markets, flowed through to company results in many major markets. So just because various companies and, and economies have, have, have scraped by actually in reasonable shape without too many bruises this year doesn't mean that there's not more around the corner. We got, we got a bit of an insight as well here locally. Earlier in the week, we got some trading updates uh, from some of those you know, high-flying e-commerce retailers here, the buy now, pay later sector and the like. 
And despite releasing pretty solid numbers, uh, the, the market just rejected it and mm. sold those companies off pretty aggressively. So I think there is some doubt starting to creep in about the longevity of those trajectories that we saw in revenues and user growth and the like over that lockdown period. Because uh, once we get this virus uh, under control, which obviously is not the case for the time being, I still question whether they those longer lasting trends will be sustained at the current trajectory. I just can't see it, unfortunately. Well, the JB High Five of the world, you know, still unable to provide guidance going forward. So in that absence of guidance, I mean, how... How do you calibrate? On the note, you, you raised about buy now, pay later. Gemma Dale from Nabtrade is always interested to see what her clients are doing. Um, famous contrarians, they obviously buy the dips and so when things are getting a bit toppy. But she was saying that this week, so a week ago, you know, Afterpay cracked $100, uh, made it up to 104 or so during the week. She said this week on weakness, I think it's certainly back under 99 now, mm -hmm. but got even to 95. She said they're actually not buying. They're not mm. tempting, which is the first time we haven't seen the clients swoop in and, and pick up. I mean, it's not that weak considering it was $8 in March, but it is relative weakness where mm. it's traded over the last couple of weeks. Um, it's apparently, it's still a bit of activity for Zip, but, but moved on from Afterpay. Mm. Interesting. Well, before we go any further, let's have a look at today's stock of the day, which is E-Road. Uh, we chatted to two analysts, as we always do on the call. Um, firstly, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Let's hear what he had to say. Even though it's our model is software as a service, because of course it's software that tracks all this, mm -hmm. there is a hardware component which they need to build and, and people need to install. So that does reduce the margins a little bit, but the margins still, you know, really good. I think it was at 33% a bit to margin, which is uh, totally respectable. And on top of that, they're trading at about four times uh, annualized recurring revenue or even just recurring revenue forecast for FY 2021. And that compares favorably to many of the other software stocks on the ASX. It's just listed, which that's, that's one of the reasons why it hasn't had any attention anywhere. Um, every company that lists um, has a beautiful, fantastic story to tell. And often the, the, the price, the price moves after listing has more, tells you more about how sentiment is in general than about the company specific. So my strategy with, with these young companies is that I don't, I don't buy them like Claude does. I mean, I obviously have a different um, uh, risk uh, uh, appetite level. Um, I just watch them because if it's really a good company and if they really do well, you can buy within a year, you can buy within two years, you can buy within three. And that was Rudy Filipek van Dyke from FN Arena. Um, so both analysts commenting on E-Road. Uh, Nadine, you led that conversation. Yeah, I did. Um, Claude Walker quite, in, quite likes it. He thinks that uh, it's also potentially one of those companies that's being led by a CEO who has form uh, in the past of making a success of a company, not courting the limelight, which he likes. And if they can get into the US market, he sees a lot of blue sky there. Uh, but Rudy, his whole, I mean, it, it was in that clip, his whole investment thesis is that when these companies newly list, they don't, you don't need to rush. If it's got a great story, it's going to have a great story six months from now, a year from now. You might miss that initial uptick, but there's still, if it's a good growth story, plenty of road ahead, excuse the pun. Um, so it did not make it into the portfolio. Um, that edition of the call, in my opinion, is worthwhile listening to just for one company that they talked about, Objective, 
Objective mm -hmm. is the name of the company. It's actually one of the um, CEOs on the AFR Rich List, and okay. it's Tony Walls. So somebody who you don't hear about no. a lot, again, to Claude's point about these CEOs that don't court the limelight. Um, he's been working away at this reg tech company. It is doing really, really well. And the enthusiasm that Claude Walker has for that company is just infectious um, to even just listen to. Even if you've got no money to put into it or you don't want to. Um, yeah, worthwhile uh, listening to Claude get the juices going. Give me some one. of the... Uh, I've already got FOMO. Come on, tell us more. Yeah. I can see why he's got FOMO. You look at what's going on at ASIC the last uh, last couple of weeks. It's yeah. like, well, maybe uh, no let the robots and uh, the fin reg uh, no, yeah. uh, going to uh, take over because certainly uh, the humans are yeah, doing. Yeah, I'm not going to draw a line between those two stories, <laughs> but yeah, um, interesting one at that. I digress anyways. Well, that is interesting. Well, we've, we've chatted so far all about what's happening overseas, um, but there's actually quite a few interesting things going on here next week as well in Australia. Um, RBA on Tuesday, it seems almost a foregone conclusion that they're going to make a move on rates. Not that... Not that you're very impressed with analysts at the moment, Scotty, by the sounds of things, but across the board, economists and analysts do seem to be predicting a, a cut. What, what are you expecting to see, Nadine? Oh, well, a cut. I mean, I can only go with what the market <laughs> is pricing. Um, spoke with Martin Wetton from CABA today. They're putting a $100 billion, um, I guess, price tag, you could say that, on, on the QE program, the bond buying program at the um, five and 10 year part of the, uh, the curve. And... I mean, yeah, that seems to be the consensus. I've had conversations. Bezadetta the other day from St. George comes to mind. They're not willing to put a figure on it. They think that the RBA will leave it sort of open-ended, not attaching a final number to it. Um, yeah, and then uh, you brought up Shane Elliott from ANZ earlier. I chatted with him yesterday. It's on our website and our app if you're so inclined. But yeah, he was just making the point, what's what's uh, CUT going to do? Is it really going to get people to borrow, corporations to borrow, small to medium-sized businesses to borrow? Um, probably not. And that was endorsed by Mark Todd from the Bank of China today as well. You know, just what is, I mean, the, the RBA can't be an outlier when it comes to monetary policy for the currency alone. Um, but yeah, what it's actually going to achieve, I don't know. Yeah, well, speaking of actual achievements, I, I, I do wonder if it'll be passed on. I mean, I, I they'll come under a lot of pressure as they always do to pass it on, but it, we're getting to the rates when you look at mortgages, for instance, are already it's almost crazily low. Yeah. Um, I was looking yesterday at how many mortgages are priced under 2% and it, it's a lot of them, it's like 15 of them out there in the market, which is just bargain basement money. Yeah, uh, the term funding facility will be uh, cut to 10 basis points, so that should be allowed to, uh, the banks are going to pass that on to, uh, to consumers, especially in the other fixed uh, fixed rate category uh, of loans. So uh, one one hand will, uh, will probably get to no lower, so maybe talking about sort of the realms of 1.8% and the like. So. Uh, rates obviously never never seen before. I suspect the RBA will, uh, will go and do everything that the market is looking for in terms of quantitative easing. Uh, yield curve, uh, no, uh, target to three years, down to 10 basis points as well. Cash rate down to 10 basis points. But with the QE, I agree that it's going to be uh, no, no set amount. It'll be open-ended. But knowing the RBA and the way that it's done things in the past, it will be very bashful and very cautious when it comes to asset purchases. So I suspect that while it will be conducting quantitative easing, it will be at the very, very least amount possible. And uh, will there be disappointment around that then? Uh, they all come down to communication in the statement. And this is the issue that I've, I've bugbear with the RBA I've had for a while. That, uh, we don't have a, an after uh, a, a rate decision press conference or anything like that. We're just going to have to go and look at everything in the actual document itself. Uh, it leads itself to confusion, uh, speculation and like. 
I'd much rather go and see the RBA come out and, uh, and actually explain the, the message to uh, I know the people of Australia, to financial markets, to go and avoid confusion. What we need to do is get on the RBA website and see when the next speech is um, mm -hmm. is scheduled, which I, I admittedly have not done. I usually keep a pretty close tab on when those are coming up, but yeah. Um, yeah, certainly interesting period. And apart from that, what, what are you keeping your eye on next week? I mean, for me, I'm just shocked. I read the FT every morning to check on how the case counts going on coronavirus. It's the way it's spiraled <gasps> yeah. out of control in France, Germany, Spain, Greece. I just saw uh, Breaker over 19,000 mm, cases in the US. Unbelievable. In the past 24 hours, in a 24 hour period. 90,000. Over 90,000. Yeah, absolutely shocking. I think for me, that's um, something that I'm watching very closely. I guess we've got the Queensland election this weekend as we well. Do. Just heard yeah. that the borders will remain shut between Queensland and, correct me if I'm wrong, urban Melbourne, urban Sydney. Mm -hmm. No need to quarantine though if you're from Regions. anywhere outside. Okay. Yeah. Pure <laughs> politics. And I agree with Alan Joyce. It's utterly ridiculous. But yeah. you know, what, what else can we do? So it is politicking at, uh, at its finest. Yeah, no, it truly is. Well, it is a busy week ahead. Um, we are going to let you all go and enjoy your weekends and prepare for it. And Nadine and Scotty, I'm going to release both of you as well. To, to Thanks, enjoy Gemma. Your <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Ciao. Have a great weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.